10 megatrends of the religious world. And we're going to be using for our scripture a text out of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 3, 1 through 5. I'd like for somebody to volunteer to get that for me is uh, Daniel. And then uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 5 is going to get that. Somebody get for me John 17, 21 and want to read that. Bill Brunson. So uh, we want to uh, deal with uh, a number of issues as we move through this. Hopefully I can cover uh, these one subject at a time or one Sunday at a time. I'm not sure I can. But uh, in December, the Lord spoke to me uh, specifically about some things that uh, uh, were in the religious world that we were going to have to confront as a church and a fellowship that are already at work. And I wrote all these down on a, it was just a simple statement of, uh, of ten things. And uh, I was very impressed with that. I went to uh, Australia, I guess it was in March or April, and did their conference. And while I was there, I felt moved to, uh, uh, to in the leadership to elaborate on these as I did the leadership uh, uh, seminars. And uh, and so I had a little bit of, uh, uh, I covered all ten of those in about an hour and a half. But I want to deal with this. I felt moved to uh, teach this and make a, a study that will be very interesting uh, to us. And uh, it helps us to deal with a number of things that we need to know and have to confront personally. There's a powerful trend in the earth today. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, uh, but that is to unify everything. There's a powerful uh, trend to merge, uh, whether it's banks, uh, 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 financial institutions around the world, uh, airlines, businesses, uh, even nations. Uh, there's a tremendous trend to strip away the boundaries of nations and to unify everything, uh, agencies, airlines, communications, everything. There's a move to unify. This is very notable uh, in the religious world. There is a, uh, a tremendous trend uh, and uh, in the religious world of movements and organizations to unify or to be one or to come under one banner. Paul gives us a prophecy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It's very uh, uh, interesting. We need to examine this and posture ourselves accordingly. We're going to use this text every uh, week. It's 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. We can have that read. Uh, out loud uh, as we begin. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now this is a prophecy. The Apostle Paul is speaking by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God uh, spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is Scripture. He says in the last days. In other words, in the con- in the continue are the completing scenes of this present age. This is what's going to transpire. Go ahead. Permit us to turn away. All right, this is a prophecy, and if you are knowledgeable, you recognize many of these trends are extremely prominent uh, in society as, uh, as we're here. Let me read you another translation. It says, you may be quite sure that in the last days there are going to be some difficult times. People will be self-centered and grasping, boastful, arrogant, and, and rude, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, irreligious, heartless, and unappeasable, There'll be slanders, profligates, savages, and enemies of everything that is good. They will be treacherous and reckless and demented by pride, preferring their own pleasure to God. They will keep up the outward appearance of religion, but they will reject the inner power of it, have nothing to do with people like that. There's a very interesting uh, translation 
that is given to that. So we want to uh, just ponder for a moment the religious trend that is in the world today, and that trend is to organic unity. In other words, what we're talking about is not just simply somebody who kind of thinks alike. There's a tremendous trend uh, in the religious world to organic unity. This means all will come under one banner, uh, one under come headship. Years ago, uh, they formed what's called the National Council of Churches. The National Council of Churches uh, had the idea that if they joined together, uh, that uh, they could present to the world a united front and uh, they could harness the force of numbers and resources, and they could focus uh, on a worldwide basis, and this would be a wonderful thing. The problem is that in the process of time, I, I don't remember exactly how many years. It seems to me uh, something like uh, 60 years or so that this has been going, maybe 70 years. And uh, the National Council of Churches uh, has turned now into a politicized organization, and it's dominated by liberals and unconverted clergy. Uh, many of you were keeping up with the Elian Gonzalez case and uh, all the media of all of that. Uh, the National Council of Churches and the power brokers behind that were very instrumental in, uh, in putting the pressure on propagandizing and, and financing uh, that uh, the ability of all that to happen and has very strong communist leanings. So uh, we want to think about this because this is a religious trend today. This has caught fire uh, in, uh, in many movements. It has uh, hamstrung and has uh, neutralized uh, many of the larger denominations that are historic. It's made them ineffective totally uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is based on, in my opinion, a mistaken interpretation. Now, I want John 17... 21. I want you to read that out loud for me. We want to consider that text for a moment. Because what, what is uh, being propagated today in the religious world is unity at any price. In other words, let's ignore uh, all the differences, let's ignore the doctrines, and let's get together and let's present a united front. John 17, 21 is the scripture that this is based on. All right, this is the scripture that that is based on. I've long believed that this uh, does not mean what they're uh, interpreting as. They're interpreting this as organic unity. In other words, one institution, we, if we can get together, everybody under one banner, and we can present a united front, uh, that uh, this is an organizational or structural unity. I do not believe that's what that means, and there's no other scripture in the Bible that even comes close to stating that. We know that there is power in unity, Psalms 133, 1 through 3. We're not arguing with that. Uh, we're not arguing with Paul's uh, uh, prophecy in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, concerning the ministry to the church. But uh, to interpret this as the will of God having organization or institutional uh, unity, I believe if you'll follow with me for a moment, we'll find out. Uh, this is not uh, this is not the trend uh, that that is spoken of there. My opinion is this is union with God in Christ. In other words, there's an indwelling by God through the Holy Spirit and abiding in Him. In, in him. And this dynamic produces a godliness, a radical transformation that will be observed by the world, become a persuasive element for the testimony of God. So we, we can come back to that in a, in a few minutes. But... I want to point out to you the danger of unity, and I want to get several texts. I want Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Somebody like to get that for me in this section here. Uh, Samantha, I want Genesis 11, 6. Somebody uh, airmark that, and I want to come back to that, which is uh, Jake. 
I want Revelation 17, verse 13, is Pete. I want Revelation 17, 3 through 6, is Denny Halverson. Mike Stamper, get for me. Revelations 18, verse 4. Now, there is uh, 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 considerable biblical history that brings some real insight. One of these is in Genesis 11, uh, 1 through 9. I want to read that out loud. Then I want to uh, ponder a few things with you from that. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Go ahead. And it asphalt for mortar. They said, okay, let's make us uh, some bricks, and they start a, a, an edifice. Go ahead. And tower whose top is in the heavens. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower that reaches up to heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Now pay close attention. Because the Bible speaks specifically and gives us revelation of spiritual trends uh, and of facets that are there. Go ahead. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole We do not want to be scattered abroad. We want to get together. We want to unify our forces. Uh, and we're going to reach up into heaven. Now, what they were actually building was a ziggurat. This was a religious tower. Uh, all biblical scholars are agreed about this. This was not simply a building that they could have a landmark and say, we want to look and so we can see that. We're not going to wander far from that. This was a spiritual activity. This was a ziggurat. They are now entering into a spiritual dimension, and they build this for that purpose. Go ahead. And they all have the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. And this is what they're beginning to do. If I don't do something, there's going to be bad things happen here. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. And they will accomplish their purposes because there's spiritual dynamics in society and in the human race. Whether you realize it or not, you may think that people are just simply... Uh, bodies walking around animated by a spirit but I want you to know there's powerful spiritual dynamics in the, in the human uh, uh, race even fallen man has tremendous latent powers uh, and when these are captivated aimed and demonic forces begin to exploit that from hell there's uh, horrible things that begin to happen this is what's happening go ahead there the Lord scattered them abroad over the whole face of the earth. And so what we find in Genesis, Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible. In Genesis you'll find a revelation that God begins to give revelation. It's a seed plot. Whatever you read in, in Genesis will begin to play out through entire biblical history. And this is a, a very uh, potent and important principle here. Genesis eleven six. Read that for me again. The people are one. They all have one language. All right. Something wicked happens to men when they begin to unify. Revelation 17, 13, we follow on through now. We're coming into the conclusion uh, of uh, this present segment uh, of God's history working uh, on the earth. And as we uh, move to the end of the age, uh, John is on the Isle of Patmos. He has a revelation of the end times. And here's what we see. Revelation 17, 13. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and their authority to the beast. Here we find again this statement made, uh, that uh, this unity, but the difficulty is with unity, is that God gets, uh, uh, God gets shoved aside and the devil begins to exploit. Revelation 17, 3 through 6. Now we're going to see a woman. She's sitting on a scarlet-colored beast. 
Here's a vivid imagery. He's seeing this vision. He writes it down so that we'll not be under any uh, 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 uncertainty about who this is. All right. This is the spirit that has been at work in religion since uh, ancient Babylon, and and it's in at work, and it it finds itself in its completion in the ending of the age. Is that all of it? Okay. This is a religious entity. This religious entity, uh, because she has prostituted the truth of God, has uh, a certain identity. She has daughters, and they're called. Uh, 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 this is the mother of harlots, and we see this entity. Revelation 18, verse 4. This is God's direction. Uh, you can read those two chapters for yourself. It gives the location. She's located on seven hills. It can be nothing more or less than the Roman Catholic Church in its completion as it sweeps together the religious uh, organizations of the world under one banner. And this is the prophecy. I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that, uh, but uh, uh, her history, the most evil time uh, in uh, human history, has been under the, under the rule of Rome. Uh, 35,000 Huguenots murdered in one night in France. Uh, uh, the Crusades, we find all of this horrible, horrible uh, 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 inquisitions and all the things that are there, and uh, she's never seized. When I was saved in uh, 1954, uh, the Roman Catholic Church ruled in South America. The Protestants had not yet begun to make inroads. The missionary in Colombia told me, you can stand on the bridge in uh, Barranca Bermeja, Colombia, and see 60 bodies an hour floating down the river. These are Protestants murdered by Catholics. So when you, when you look at me, you're looking at a protestant. That's what I am. That's what Protestant means. I was in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I was preaching in a crusade, and, and I was dealing with the people as I'm praying for them on the stage. And so uh, numbers of people come through from various religious organizations, and they're Catholic. Why I made them pray a prayer of acceptance of Christ before I'd pray for them. And some little girl came to me afterward and said, You've offended me. I said, I'm, I'm a Catholic, and, I, and I'm born again. I said, How on earth did you get born again in the Catholic Church? I always ask them that because I'm always interested. Certainly not by the seven sacraments, because that's what you believe, you know. And so uh, she kept on. I tried to be nice to her, but, you know, some people you can't be nice to. <laughs> and so finally, I saw that I'm wasting my breath on her. I said, you offend me. Don't tell me what the Catholic Church is. I preach in Mexico. I preach in the Philippines. I see it. I know it. I know exactly what it is. Don't waste my time. I'm not arguing with you. Uh, I'm out of here. Okay. So... Uh, we want to just think about that for a moment. Let's move on into, because this is all uh, happening also with the secular world. And uh, 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 unity uh, uh, unites unredeemed man as a force for evil. You can look at communism. Communism is, is, a, is a horrible thing that we saw in our generation. Uh, most of you who are uh, a product of American education, you're stupid about what communism is. I'm not. Uh, I'm, I've lived longer than you are. I saw it all come down from World War II, the whole shot. And uh, my dad, who only had a third grade education, used to tell me when I was a kid, he said, uh, well, 
Russia's next. It's Russia. What is is he talking about? I'm going to school, and they're touting our great ally, Soviet Russia, and on. It was was only when I became an adult and began to educate myself that I I began to see the horror of that. uh, There's something happens uh, in a common unity uh, when evil uh, begins in a corporate unity. This is true in the business world. We just now have seen Microsoft uh, broken up uh, because of the ruthless world domination and uh, the one thing that we need to thank God for is that Japanese uh, didn't uh, get a hold of the technology before Bill Gates got it. So I still remember World War II, too. And so uh, we can thank God for that because when unsaved man, unregenerate man, gets hold of something, uh, his, uh, his uh, self-interest... And his evil nature begins to come uh, forward, and we've got AT&T, and, uh, and uh, now we're, the banks are merging, the airlines are mer- merging, the drug companies are merging, national health care crisis. And so this is all swirling right in our generation. We're seeing uh, globalism is moving as rapidly as on a fast track, uh, and the end result will be the Antichrist, and we don't want to go there. Okay, so let's think for a moment uh, a, little, uh, a little bit about common sense in the church. Uh, Any time that you uh, see man that gets too powerful and begins to get uh, too much uh, power in their hands, whether it's a Roman Catholic church or whether it's any other church, strange things begin to happen even in the religious world. We saw Jim Baker, uh, who undoubtedly had good intentions. Uh, but when you start churning in multi-millions of dollars and you are uh, adored by millions of people, uh, if you're not very careful, you begin to believe your own press reports and uh, odd things begin to happen to you. And we could t- talk about Jimmy Swagger, Jim, Jimmy Baker, uh, or Roberts, uh, Robert Shuler, Trinity Broadcasting. We could go on down the line. The media has been able to focus in our generation... Uh, and has been able to generate multi-millions of dollars and reach uh, millions of people at one time. While that's not all evil, neither is it all good. And there's some horrible results have come out, uh, and, uh, and one of these things is a powerful trend uh, towards unity. I was over in Malaysia, and as I was over in Malaysia, we were passing by on the way to the crusade, and uh, here's a Catholic church, and on that, the Pentecostals and the Assemblies of God were having charismatic uh, services, and, and it's under the banner of unity, I believe is the name of it, in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to tell you that when Pentecostals, uh, Assembly of God, and Catholics start having unity services, you have missed God a million miles. Okay, say, but Pastor, you're so bigoted, and you're so narrow-minded. No, I'm not. I know something. See, a Christian is not someone who has had an experience in a spiritual dimension. That's not what a Christian is. I, there's people sitting all over here that, that uh, popped LSD. They had, they had uh, experiences in the spiritual dimension. Let me see your hands. Yeah, okay. See what I mean? Were you a Christian when you did that? Of course not. Did you have a spiritual experience? Absolutely. But it was not God. You see, a Christian are not, is not called a Christian because of some ecstatic religious experience. They're called Christians because they believe something. And as they believe something, which is the revelation 
of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible and they surrender to that and repent from their sins, they have an experience which is called being born again. That's what makes a Christian. You do not become a Christian by going to a meeting somewhere and having some kind of an ecstatic spiritual experience. You become a Christian by being converted by the Holy Spirit, born again, regenerate. That's what makes a Christian. Now, to some of you saying, why on earth are you saying that? I'm saying that because this is not what this generation is believing or moving towards. So let's get some, uh, uh, some scripture and uh, some, uh, begin to bring out some false concepts and cliches. I want Amos 3.3. 3. Somebody in this section here get that for me. Is Don Galati. Pete, I want Romans 16.17. Uh, Brian, would you get for me 1 Timothy 1, 17 through 20? Uh, I want 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15, Adam. I want somebody to get for me 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18, Dennis. And I want 2 Peter 2, 1 and 2. Help us, somebody. Uh, Joe. Joe. So uh, we want to go through. Uh, there's a cliché. And this cliché is used very widely in charismatic circles, and that is that love unites, doctrine divides. Now, that's spoken as a cliché that is supposed to uh, put a bad label on, uh, on people who uh, are narrow-minded and bigoted like I am. I told you I'm a protest tent. That's what I am. How many of you know what a protestant is? It means we protested what the Catholic Church had moved the world into in religion. And the entire movement came out. Martin Luther began it. And we are the uh, results of that on down through generations of men who believe God. So doctrine divides. Love unites. This is a cliche. There's nothing uh, that is a worse sin in our generation than to be intolerant. That's the worst sin you could ever commit is that you're not tolerant. Well, there's some things you better not be tolerant about. One of these is the Word of God. The Word of God is to be adhered to, and, uh, and uh, only an intelligent mind can begin to move you into uh, what's really involved. Amos 3.3 3 says it very clearly. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, uh, I said that the... Uh, trend of the hour, uh, religious megatrend, is unity at any price. Now, I don't have any problem uh, uh, unifying or getting along with or cooperating with anybody as long as they agree on the basic premises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but if they do not, then I'm sorry, I can't walk with you, I can't cooperate with you. We all got a great education three or four years ago when we joined the John Wesley White Crusade up the high school. Anybody still remember that? It was a great education for our congregation. Didn't accomplish anything, but it was an education. Romans 16, verse 17. Now, I urge you, brethren, mark those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. So here is a statement that says you re avoid religious people who hold destructive doctrines. Now that's basically what Second Timothy said, wasn't it? Our opening scripture said, 
uh, that uh, in the last days, this is a prophecy, this is what the concept's going to be, and uh, they have a form of godliness, have an outward show, but there's nothing behind it. Their lives do not match up with what they're uh, saying that they are. First Timothy 1, 17 through 20. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. This word, if you remember our old study that we did a few years ago, he's not suggesting. This is a military term. The Apostle Paul is writing, said, I'm commanding you. Go ahead. Uh, here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy's young pastor. And he says to this young pastor, I want you to remember the words of prophecy that were spoken over you as you went out. I want you to begin to uh, 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 fight for, stand for, contend for these uh, principles of divine revelation which has been given to you. And here's two fellows that are down there, both Hymenaeus and Alexander. He's not bashful about naming them. He says, these guys are making shipwrecked faith. They and all who follow them are following a wrong compass. And just like a ship will founder on the rocks, this is what's happening to them. And he said, I'm warning you about them. Stay away from them. So uh, apparently, Paul had a little problem with the unity doctrine in his day. Is this correct? Do you suppose that the church today has uh, solved that problem? And there isn't, there's not any more any high maintenances in Alexander. Well, you'd be daft if you think that. It doesn't even make good sense, uh, nor is it in line with our experience. 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. All right, Alexander the coppersmith, uh, this scoundrel uh, uh, came against me. And doctrine, Paul says, you need to beware of him. And you stay away from him because this, is a, this, this fellow has doctrines that are destructive. 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18. And their resurrection is already passed. Right, here's Hymenaeus and Philetus. says their words eat like a cancer. You know what a cancer is. It's a malignant. It continues to spread. And he said, if you believe their words, you listen to their words, you sit under their ministry, you're going to die. Just as plain as can be. Go ahead. They're overthrowing the faith of some. Second Timothy two seventeen and eighteen. Is that it? Okay. Second uh, Peter two one and two. As there were false prophets among the people, so there will be false teachers among you. They're going to bring in damnable heresies. These heresies are going to cause damnation to your soul, even denying the Lord. Go ahead. Is that it? And bring upon themselves swift destruction. So, uh, that, uh, that let us understand that there always has been, there always will be, in the church of Jesus Christ, uh, this thing working. And this thing working is truth that is to be discovered and to be aired to. And believers are warned that they need to pay attention to what it is they're hearing, they're listening to. And they need to avoid those uh, that are astray. Now, uh, there's leaders in history. They've, they've, they've proclaimed this. And uh, here's a key scripture. I preached a sermon on this a few weeks ago. First uh, Corinthians 11, 7 through 19. I need that. Maybe in my far uh, left over here is Adam. I need Second Thessalonians 3, 6. Uh, uh, Louis Polino. And so uh, uh, Paul is very adamant. Uh, concerning this principle that doctrine is something that's worked out in the process of the body of Jesus Christ uh, and some are approved, some are disapproved. 
just it's it's uh, it's uh, uh, is as common as can be in the scripture in biblical history. First Corinthians eleven seventeen through nineteen. Loud, clear voice. All right, here's the Apostle Paul. He says uh, that there you're coming together. There's divisions uh, among you. And he said, I know that that is true because there has to be this outworking of doctrine. There's going to be heresies among you. And he says it's a very powerful principle is the next statement. That they that are approved must be made manifest among you. This word approved is a word that comes from assayer. In uh, an assayer, they take uh, material in. And, uh, and the assayer melts it down. He analyzes it and says, uh, "This, uh, uh, how much uh, genuineness this is." So, uh, if you uh, if you have a material that's not genuine, uh, the assayer will tell you what percentage you have. If you take in uh, a, a, a basket full of gold uh, and silver rings, dump it into a furnace, melt it down, the assayer will take a look at it and he'll tell you what percentage of purity that is. This is what that word means: approved. It means there's a testing, and the genuineness is going to be made manifest by this process. And so you'll never avoid this. You'll never escape this until Jesus comes. Your responsibility as a believer is make sure that what you believe is biblical. That is your responsibility. I have a responsibility as a minister of the gospel. God says I, I'll suffer the greater condemnation because I stand as a teacher and as an example. I stand as a proclaimer. I'll, 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 I'll uh, bear a double responsibility because I have the ability to influence people. But that does not uh, negate your responsibility. Your responsibility is to measure what I say, what I teach, what I preach, or anybody else that you come in contact with and make sure that what you believe is written in the Bible. If it's not, run for your life. Because we're not dealing with a little club, uh, the Elks Club. We're not dealing with the Veterans Administration and VFW where we drink beer. We're dealing with eternity. Heaven or hell is going to be the outcome of what you're experiencing right now as you come together in this church, in this service, uh, week after week, month after month, year after year. It is your eternal soul. And not everybody is going to believe the same thing. There are going to be people who are motivated by uh, exploitation. There's going to be people that are motivated by rebellion. Uh, you'll find people who get into immorality. They suddenly begin to say, well, you know, we have to understand, you know, that the weakness of human flesh. You know, we all sin every day and all kinds of other garbage like that. You ever hear any of those statements? Uh, when you hear them, mark them because you're looking at someone who either already has fallen or is going to fall. You are responsible personally before God for these scriptures. Daniel, get for me Acts 19, 9 and 10. And we want Second Thessalonians 3, 6. Who did I give that to? Louis? We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You withdraw yourselves from every brother that walks disorderly. Now, where then in this is the, is the unity. Are you still with me? Are you still following along with me? It's very apparent there never has been, never will be. As long as human nature uh, is, uh, is not completely sanctified, and that won't happen until Jesus comes, as long as these processes, the flesh and the spirit, this wrestling is there, uh, this, is going to, uh, this is going to be there. He says, you mark them uh, that are causing this, and you avoid them. Is this correct? Did you read it all there? Yes. 
Okay. And not after the tradition which you received from us. As the Apostle Paul says, you mark those that, uh, that say my words uh, are, not, uh, are, not, uh, uh, are not to be adhered to. And what, what I preach, uh, uh, didn't I preach? No, I guess I didn't preach this. I got an article. Uh, uh, There's a, a powerful religious uh, editor. And uh, it's, Amer- it's Charisma Magazine. If you want to find out what nut factor is in the world, get Charisma Magazine. And so... Uh, 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 this uh, editor wrote, a, wrote an article in um, the Spirit-Led Woman. And uh, so uh, Phil Mayot gave me this. He ran across it. And it's ten lies that the church is telling women. All right. So these, these ten lies are everything uh, that's opposite of what you and I believe. Now, this is a powerful editor. And uh, when he comes to one of the key scriptures that I preached on last Sunday morning, he says uh, 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 words like, well, apparently, the Apostle Paul, uh, he must have meant this. Well, no, he didn't mean that. He meant what he said. Well, apparently, he must have meant... No, he didn't mean that. He meant what he said. When you start taking scripture and say, well, I don't think it means... Uh, uh, then you're into the Bill Clinton parsing words. Is doesn't mean is anymore. But the Bible speaks very plainly, and you are responsible for those words. Acts 19, 9 and 10... Here's history. Uh, here's the Apostle Paul. He's ministering now. He's drawn a following. These people are drawn by his words. They've received Christ as their Savior. They've been born again, uh, but they're in, they're, in, uh, they're in ministry. This is in the flux of, of, uh, of gathering and building uh, congregations. Read it out loud, please. Okay, but some of the audience that he was speaking to, which he, Paul's favorite was to go into synagogues and proselyte. So he'd go in and they'd say, uh, 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 do you have anything to say, brother? He said, as a matter of fact, I do. He'd get up and preach. And, uh, and so uh, everybody that he moved, he'd, take a, he'd, uh, he'd, he'd build out of that and get converts. Go ahead. He departed from them and separated the disciples. He departed from them and separated the disciples. Disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years so that all in Asia heard the words of the Lord Jesus. So let's think this through. He's uh, preaching. He's drawing uh, 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 an audience. Out of that audience, he's getting some real converts, they're real disciples. And he knows that there comes a time when you no longer now are evangelizing. Now you're going to have to, you're going to retain your converts. You're going to have to separate them from this religious mess. He pulls them out. And then he continues on uh, establishing these disciples. That process must be gained because I want to tell you that new converts uh, will not stand when you have a constant religious confusion is going. Uh, when we got into the coffee house ministry, uh, I don't know if you remember why uh, we uh, were drawn hundreds of young people uh, into the coffee house ministry. And so this looked like a great idea. I remember the Baptist started one up on Gurley and, and somebody else started one. And so uh, they said, coffee house, that's what it ought to be. We're going to have tables. They're all going to sit down and they're going to they're gonna share. They're going to wrap. We never did do that. And you'll lose all your converts that way. Mormons will come in and proselyte them. Fornicators will come in and seduce them. That's what will happen. Our minister always was straightforward. It's music, testimony, gospel, altar call, pray for him, we go home. It always was that. When you uh, set down new converts or unstable people and expose them to religious doctrines, 
You see, we're dealing with spiritual dynamic. There's demons out there, folk. D-E-M-O-N-S, demons. They're powerful, they're persuasive, they're supernatural. And this is what the Apostle Paul did. He made his converts. As soon as he got him a following, he said, Okay, boys, we're out of here. And uh, he separated them and began to impart to them and disciple them in the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I want to read you uh, a few statements, if I could. Uh, these, are, these are all quotes, and I'm going to stop in a minute, and we're going to have a discussion. It says, The Triumph of Truth. It is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills. It is not love and it is not friendship if we fail to declare the whole counsel of God. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. It is impossible to find anyone in the Bible who has a power for God who did not have enemies and was not hated. It's better to stand along with the truth than to be wrong with a multitude. It is better to ultimately succeed with the truth than to temporarily succeed with a lie. Now, this is written by a man who knows what he's talking about. Here's another one. Now, this is by E.W. Tozer. Pursuing Christian unity at any cost? Question mark. Truth is slain to provide a feast to celebrate the marriage of heaven and hell and to support a concept of unity which has no basis in the Word of God. The spirit-illuminated church will have none of this. In a fallen world like ours, unity is no treasure to be purchased at the price of compromise. Loyalty to God, faithfulness to truth, and a preservation of a good conscience are jewels more precious than gold. The religious camp followers of meaningless unity have not the courage to stand against current vogues and bleat for brotherhood because it happens to be, for the time, popular. Nothing makes a man so virtuous as belief of the truth. A lying doctrine will soon beget a lying practice. A man cannot have an erroneous belief without by and by having an erroneous life. I believe the one thing naturally begets the other. And finally, compromising the truth for the sake of an audience that no longer wanted to hear was something the Apostle Paul warned against. Heap up teachers having itching ears, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. I want to open it for a question and comment for a few minutes. Maybe we've triggered your thinking. Uh, Sean? EST. ESP. Yeah. such things as transference of spirits and that happens in gatherings of people uh, Jeff Brown
Phil Payson was a Sunday school teacher in the Methodist Church. They got their Sunday school lesson from the World Council of Churches. Tell your Sunday school class to tell Hanoi to quit, uh, or, or, or to the U.S. to stop bombing Hanoi, yes. Nothing. Politicized, yes. Because they're unregenerate men and much of their clergy is not converted. Uh, Pete? Yes. And they start calling names, but yet we understand that they're just liars. They're not going to stop harming themselves, and so we're not going to. Politically, they say, well, if you don't cross over to our side and agree with us on this, you're just you're just a mean-spirited Republican. You're not bipartisan. That's and what it is. And it transfers right over into the church. It's like a human nature thing where, well, you know, you guys are just too hard. And you just really need to unify and soften your approach and join with us. And it's like it's always the weaker person trying to take the stronger person down. Yeah, the they have no thrill of seeing people actually transformed and saved. Amen. When you see people saved and transformed and, and, you're, and uh, it's working, uh, you're, you're not easily swayed with people who are not uh, seeing people saved and transformed. Very good. Uh, Mel? Yes. So intolerance is a, is a great play on words. And so uh, tolerance to the point of endorsing someone else's lifestyle and doctrine is not biblical, it's not Christian. Okay, let me read you some more stuff here before we uh, go. I have an article called, uh, you know, one of the great things is, oh, these denominations, these denominations, that's uh, one of the greatest evil is denominations. This article traces the history of denominations and uh, says, first considering the human inability, inability, always to see the truth clearly, differences of opinion about the outward form of the church are inevitable. Uh, even though these differences do not involve fundamentals of the faith, they are not matters of indifference. Third, no, since no church has a final full grasp of divine truth, the true church of Christ can never be fully represented by any single ecclesiastical structure. Finally, the mere fact of separation does not of itself constitute schism. It is possible to be divided at time, many points and still be united in Christ. This is what I said uh, in, in John 17, 21. Denominationalism came to be set against sectarianism, which denoted groups claiming the authority of Christ in truth for themselves alone and believing that they alone constituted the true body of Christ. That's how denominationalism came into being, is people who were opposed to that and said, no, uh, this is, uh, this, this, we, need, we need to establish another uh, segment. So let me read you uh, one other thing, because what's happening today, if you, if you picked it up, I'm not sure you did, what's happening today is that people are unified over an experience. Because they've had an ecstatic spiritual experience, uh, they're willing to throw doctrine out the window, forget about any kind of differences, uh, and embrace uh, people who believe all kinds of nut stuff simply because they say they've had an experience. Listen to this. This is John Arnott of uh, the Toronto Insanity. Says uh, He's talking about doctrine. 
it came as a tremendous revelation to me several years ago that the Christian faith is all about love, passion, and romance. That's a key word. Because here's a man who's a product of the feminized church. Okay. Before that time, I thought Christianity was based on understanding the truth and getting our doctrine straight. If we could only have the purity of doctrine the early church had, we'd experience God's presence and power. Or so I believe. But what is pure doctrine anyway? We find it in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. That's pure doctrine. Being in love with Jesus is more important than having perfect doctrine. Well, what does that mean? Is it a feeling? I don't think so. Jesus clearly defined love. And as he defined it, said, if you love, here's what you're going to do. So this is the insanity of the religious world. Carol, you want to make a comment? Yeah. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to read a good book, I mentioned this last Sunday, is the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Church Impotent, the Feminization of the Church. It gives you tremendous insight. Uh, we've got a few copies in our church library. And, uh, and this romanticism uh, of, uh, of the Christian faith is uh, moved out of uh, a little faggot who was Bernard of Clairvaux brought this in and began to bring in uh, worship in feminine terms and sexual overtones. That's where it came from, and that's where all this stuff goes. You're making love to Jesus when you're worshiping. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> Amen. Don't you just love this class? Jerry? Cult member will immediately make contact because we're in spiritual dimension. Well, they could care less. Yep. They, they, they didn't care if you were saved earlier. Nope. They care if you're, if you're believing this. No, they want to tell you about their doctrine. Okay. God bless you. We're going to continue next week. Uh, we'll have church in a moment.